So good. Hey, how was y'all's day? Okay, good, good. Um, are y'all enjoying these videos? So stinking good, right? I, my hope is, and I know I can, I can speak on behalf of Hume as well, my, our hope is, is that as you watch this, this story unfold on the big screen, that you can then dive into the text of Exodus and it can help this story come to life. And that as you read about Moses and Pharaoh and the plagues, and you can see it on display up here, our, our hope and our desire is that the more you open up God's word, the more you start to, to comprehend and understand that this truly is the greatest story ever told. Right? If you have your Bibles with you, let me see them. Let me see them up in the ayer. Let me see them, let me see them, let me see them. Okay? We're gonna, be, we're gonna be in this text tonight, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna point you right now to the point that we're gonna land. We're gonna talk a little bit about this story that we just saw, uh, and then I wanna uh, walk you through what I promised you I would walk you through when we started this. I, I told you two things. One, we're gonna be in God's word, and two, I'm gonna treat you like adults. Why? Because I think you're ready to make adult decisions. Right, the world around you might look at junior hires, they might look at sixth graders and seventh graders and eighth graders. In fact, where are my sixth graders at? Where are my seventh graders at? Eighth graders? Okay, here's the difference between a sixth grader and an eighth grader, right? I asked where the sixth graders at and they very respectfully went. And then I asked where are my eighth graders at and they went, good. It's good. It's good. Okay. Did I miss? There's no like fifth or ninth. Fifth graders? We have some fifth graders in the house? What's up, girl? Okay. Okay. I see you. I see you. I see you. What's up, my man? All right. Heck yeah. Awesome. Any like rogue ninth graders that just like snuck in here? Okay. They were like, whoop, OE, I'm coming. Okay. As, as fifth graders, I'm sorry, sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, right? The world around you might look at y'all and go, well, they're just, they're just kids. Right? They, they, can't, they can't sit through a chapel. They're not going to worship. Right? There's no way you can open up God's word and you can walk them through the text. They're not ready for that kind of decision. They're not ready to, to focus in as somebody stands up and preaches God's word. Like you just, you just wait until they're older. Just wait until maybe they're in late high school or they're in college. But friends, I am standing here confident of the fact that tonight, as we open up his word and as we talk about the single greatest story that's ever been told, I'm, I'm confident in the fact that you're ready to make an adult decision. And I'm confident in the fact that you can sit through a message and a video and a time of worship and we can focus in and lean in. Why? Because I believe not necessarily that it's me standing up here going, hey, pay attention to me, but it's, I'm, I'm confident that every single one of you has a divine appointment with God this week. That just like we saw last night that Moses, he's walking by the burning bush. Remember this? And he sees it and he says, what is this thing that's happening? Let me go over and investigate. Let me go over and find out what's happening in this scenario. And as he draws near to God, God says, Moses, Moses, and reveals a part of his character that he is a relational God. See, here's what I love about this story. This book, Genesis through Revelation, 
This is not a book about what we have to do to get to God. This is a book about what God has done to get to us. I love the way 1 John chapter 4 puts it. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. That his love went first. That his love took the first step towards us. In, in Genesis chapter 3 that we looked at this morning, we saw that in the garden, Adam and Eve, they make a very intentional decision to say, God, I, I don't trust you and I don't trust what you say. I mean, they might not say that explicitly, right? It's not like Eve walked up to God and went like, um, God, I don't trust you and I don't trust what you say. No, but when, when the Satan showed up on the scene and said, did God really say, what does she do? She doubts. She doubts in who God is and she doubts what God says. It's kind of like Piper. Remember, I was talking to you guys about my daughter, Piper, right? Walking up to the countertop and reaching for the sippy cup. And then when, when Paige takes it from her, if Piper had the ability to fully trust in her mom and what her mom has for her, she would be able to go, oh, mom, if you took that from me, it must mean that it's not the best thing for me. If you took that from me, if you're saying no, maybe it's because beep, 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 landmine. Maybe if you took something away from me, you took it away for a reason. You took it away for a purpose. If she had the cognitive ability to do that, then she would go, oh, my mom loves me. She's for me. Her design for my life is better than my own design for my life. But friends, just like Piper, you and I do this all the time, right? We have a sin problem. You and I, we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it, and so often we refuse to believe that what God wants for us, what he has for us, is actually our deepest level of happiness. And so when we give in, when we sin, these thoughts, words, action, or attitudes that go against God's design for our life, it's us believing something that's false, that what I want is better than what God wants for me. Does that make sense? A little recap. Hey, we see Moses in the burning bush experiencing this holy God. And then this morning we talked about the sin problem that we have. So what I want you to do is open up this book to Romans chapter 5. Okay? And I'm going to have you just put your thumb in there because we're going to get there eventually. But your Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. Right? Your New Testament starts out with four guys' names. Those four guys' names are what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hey, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four books, they're, they're kind of known as the Gospels. Hey, does anybody know what the word gospel means? Good news, okay? It means good news. And those four books tell the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, okay? But Romans, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is your next book. If you keep flipping to the right, you'll get to Romans. Go to Romans chapter 5, and we're going we're gonna to land there eventually. Hey, but I want to pick up this story that we just saw. Hey, in this story, as Pharaoh, Phineas Rowe, and Moses, as they're having this back and forth conversation, what happens? Moses says, this is what God declares, and Pharaoh keeps saying no, right? Pharaoh says, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my attitudes, they're, they're more important than what God has for me, right? Essentially, he's demonstrating very visibly what we talked about this morning. It's sin. And sin always has a consequence. And so you see uh, the, the water turn into blood and you saw the gnats come into town and you're seeing all of these plagues happen that are very 
very physical, very obvious consequences for Pharaoh's sin. And then the last one we see is that, that Pharaoh's son actually gets taken and Pharaoh's sitting there and he says, I thought you said that your God was a loving God. But remember what we talked about this morning? Right? We defined God's wrath. Right? We said God's wrath is his love in action against sin. Does that make sense? Right? It's, it's God's love in action against sin. God hates that which separates his children from him. It's like if, if somebody were to, were to come in to my house and they were to try to harm Piper in some way, shape, or form, and I just sat back and did nothing about it, none of you would look at me and go, you're a very loving father. No, right? If, if something tries to harm the object of my love, my action is going to step in, and I'm saying I'm gonna take action against that which is causing harm to the object of my love. God does the same thing, you wanna know why? Because he's the author and creator of love itself. He himself is love, and so he has wrath. All throughout this story, we saw that his holiness, his, so, his other than-ness, his set-apartness, has this justice, and this justice has this wrath side of it that goes, I have to take action against sin, why? because I hate that which separates my children from me. So we saw this play out very tangibly with the plagues. But then God provides another way. Right? What, did, what did they start doing? What, did, what were they commanded to do by Yahweh, by Jireh? It was to take the blood of an animal, right? And, and to show this blood of an animal, it was, it was a sacrifice. Hey, but your sacrificial system, if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. Your sacrificial system in the Old Testament, what you just saw play out, it was, it was present for two reasons. Number one, the first reason it was present, the reason God commands it, is because it was to remind the people of Israel of their sin. It was to remind the people of Israel of their sin. Okay? And we talked about this this morning. Why do people need to be reminded of something? Who said that? What'd you say? Say it louder for the people in the back. Because they, they forget. Okay. Have you ever forgotten? Like, what do you what do you typically forget that your mom has to remind you of all the time? Clean your room. Okay. When your parents want to remind you of something, it's the th it's whatever you usually need to be reminded of. It's the thing that they tell you like over and over and over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying? They're like, hey. Clean your room. Did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? Did you clean your room? And they're not, they're not being annoying, even though you might think they are. It's more because you tend to forget what they're commanding. And so God creates this sacrificial system, number one, to remind Israel of their sin. Why? Because they forget. Because they, like you and I, we tend to go, well, I'm not that bad. I'm I'm not, I haven't done anything like that bad lately. Like maybe little things, but it's like for the most part, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And so the sacrificial system was present to every time you slaughtered an animal, the like ugliness of that scene reminded the people of Israel of the ugliness of their sin. Number one. And number two, the second reason it was present was to point to a greater sacrifice. All throughout your Old Testament, 
I, I said this to you this morning, but your entire Bible, all 66 books, every single one of them is about Jesus. You can open up to any point in your Bible and you can go, this is about Jesus. So all throughout the Old Testament, whenever you see the sacrificial system pop up, and the whole reason we talk about it in this video is because it's say the people of Israel needed to be reminded of their sin and brokenness. And then number two, it pointed to something greater happening down the road. Okay, um, when I was in, in a freshman in high school, I was teensy tiny, believe it or not. Okay, I'm 6'3 now. My freshman year of high school, I was 5'1", about 95 pounds. Okay? Uh, puberty hit me when I was about 23 years old. It was a great time. Okay? I just am able to grow a mustache for the first time in my life. So shout out to Jeb. His mustache is much better than mine, but I'm trying. Okay? I'm trying very hard. And so my, my freshman year of high school, I was like teensy, teensy, tiny. We would come back to the U.S. I was really small all throughout elementary school. So we'd come back to the U.S. every summer, and we would always go to theme parks. We'd go to like Six Flags or Knott's Berry Farm or whatever. And whenever you go to theme parks to go on roller coasters, there's always the like, you must be this tall to ride signs. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Where are my small people at? Okay. You feel my pain. You feel my pain, right? Because us small people, come back to me. Us small people, when you go to a theme park, like Six Flags in Santa Clarita, when you go to a theme park like that, to go on all the like big rides, to go on all the awesome rides, like you gotta be a certain weight sometimes, you gotta be a certain height sometimes. And when I was, when I was like a, in elementary school or even in junior high, I remember walking up to those, you must be this tall signs, and like you, you pull in all the air you possibly have, and you're like, you like stuff your shoes with socks and you're trying to like be taller because you just want to go on the rides. And, and I remember like the struggle and finally being tall enough to go on these rides and being so stoked to go on it, okay? And, and here's, here's what this looks like, okay? Um, what's your name? Indy? Izzy? Can I borrow you for a second? Will you come up here with me? Izzy. Izzy? I-Z-Z-Y. Will you come stand up here? Izzy, how tall are you? Four something. Four something? Yeah. Don't know the exact four. Okay, we'll stick with four something, okay? Can I have a high five, Izzy? Boom. Okay, uh, who's the tallest counselor in the room? Mr. Black. Mr. Black? How tall, where's Mr. Black? How tall are you? Six four? Is anybody taller than six four? How tall are you? 6'1"? All right, come here, 6'4". Are you Mr. Black? No? Pastor Kyle? All right, what's up, Pastor Kyle? Nice to meet you. Pastor Kyle, Izzy, Izzy, Pastor Kyle. 6'4"? Okay. 4 something. 6'4". Four something. I love it. I love it. It's four something. I don't know. Just four something. Okay. Here's, here's a little bit of what we've been walking through for the last two-ish days. 
Day one, Moses encounters God and there's this holiness of God. Then this morning we talk about that there's sin present in our life. I finished with like three or four verses that say we're all sinful, we're all broken, we all fall short of God's glory. Remember that this morning? Remember we talked about that? James chapter two, verse 10 says, if you break one part of the law, you've broken the entirety of the law. So whether you're Pharaoh and your sin is very obvious or you were simply born into this world and, and you're walking and you go like, I look around and I'm, I'm not that bad. You're, you're, James 2 makes it clear. If you've broken one part of God's law, you've broken it in, in its entirety. Okay, so I want you to imagine just for a second, Izzy, Pastor Kyle, Point Loma. We talked, we chatted. Uh, okay. And I want you to imagine just for a second that there was like a, you must be this tall to ride sign that was like yay height. We'll just call it like six feet, okay? And if Izzy, if you walk up to six feet at four something, you look up at six feet and you go, oh, okay, all right. And you can stand on your tippy toes, you can jump, you can try, right? And Pastor Kyle walks up to six foot and goes, <laughs> I laugh in the face of six feet. Why? Because I'm six feet four. And I look at six feet and I go, if you must be this tall to ride, like I tower over that. It's not a problem for me. Okay, but I want you to imagine just for a second that the you must be this tall to ride sign is on the top of the Empire State Building. Hey, the Empire State Building is 1,454 feet at its tip, at the very top, 1,454 feet. Okay, at 1,454 feet, four foot something and six foot four both walk up to 1,454 feet and go, huh, that's very tall. Right? Okay, friends, how ludicrous would it be, how preposterous would it be if Pastor Kyle walked up to the, 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 you must be this tall to ride sign, at the top of the Empire State Building, and looked at Izzy and went, well, I'm two feet closer. <laughs> Izzy would go, it's 1,454 feet. Two feet does nothing, right? You and I both stand here looking up at it going, oh, we're not close. Does that make sense? Right? Like both of them walk up to a you must be this tall to ride sign um, at 1,454 feet. And, and like if they start comparing themselves to each other and go, well, technically I'm 16 inches closer to the 400. Like we would all look at them and go, congratulations. Right? Like it's you, you thinking you're, you're, you're farther or you thinking that you're closer. We both look at them and go, you're not close. Right? Like if Kyle starts walking up and measuring himself going like, guys, guys, am I, am I? We would all go, Kyle, no. Like you're, you're not, you're not close. Right, give it up for these guys. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kyle. Thank you, Izzy. Friends, and this is, this is the picture this is the picture that we're given in scripture of our need for a deliverer. At four foot something and at six foot four, they both walk up to the Empire State Building and go, I'm not close. 
So in scripture, when we look at the holiness of God, and in Exodus chapter 33, when God makes the awesome statement that nobody can even look at me and survive that moment, that God, that set apart, that holy, that magnificent, Hey, we sang this song, uh, I, I think this morning, that just said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know where that comes from? It comes from Revelation chapter four and Isaiah chapter six. Remember I told you when scripture repeats something twice, it's relational? When scripture repeats something three times, it means that there's nothing holier than. So holy, holy, holy is the angels declaring nothing has ever been holier than God is holy. So at his set apartness, when we sin, when that brokenness enters in, it creates a fracture so large that to try to mend that gap is as ludicrous as us walking up to the Empire State Building going, am I, am I close? The answer is no, friends. And so when we open up the text, when we look at the scriptures, it begs the question, what do we do now? What do we do with this gap that exists? And all throughout your Old Testament, what we saw here in this video is God proclaiming to his people, I have made a way for you. This, this sacrificial system, it's going to demonstrate that your sin and your brokenness separates you from me. It's the 1,400 foot gap, right? And then it's gonna point to something greater. It's gonna point to something down the road. It's like foreshadowing. It's the moment in the Batman movies where at the end of the Batman movie, it says there's this calling card and he flips open the card and it's the Joker, right? And he goes, ah, there's another movie coming. It's the scene that we all wait for at the end of the credits of like every Marvel movie ever. And it's like the 30 second clip at the end of the movie where we go like, oh, I can't wait for the next movie. It's, it's this foreshadowing moment that says there's something else coming down the road. Okay, and friends, can I, here's what I wish we could do right now. Genuinely, I wish you and I, we could just sit down. I could grab this LaCroix, it's Pomplamoose, of course, the best flavor. And I wish I could just grab this LaCroix and I could grab this Red Bull and you and I could just sit down and I could say, okay, hey, can we just end chapel right here? Can we just, you and I sit down together and just over a Red Bull and a Pomplamoose LaCroix, can we just have a conversation? And this is the part where genuinely, okay? And I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask something of you. For the next like eight minutes or so. Try not to distract the person next to you. Okay, for the next like eight minutes or so, lean in, pay attention. Okay, th this, is, this is the part of chapel where I, I wanna level with you a little bit. Okay, because I wholeheartedly I remember what it's like being in junior high going to a private Christian school. You wanna know why? Because I went to a private Christian school. Like I, I grew up in the, in the Christian home. Like I've heard this story. I've sat through chapels before. I've watched videos and it's easy to just kind of mess around with the person next to you. 
It's, it's easy to kind of just make light of something because you've heard it before. And what I want to ask of you is that for the next seven or eight minutes, you just lean in. And here's why. Because I, I want you to imagine for the next seven or eight minutes that you and I are just sitting down. And I'm just going, hey, let's just have a conversation. You're, you're sitting down here. We can look at my Bible together. And, and I'm going to... I'll crack these drinks for us, right? A little LaCroix. You can have the Red Bull to keep you awake because I see you slouching. I see you falling asleep, okay? And if you were sitting here with me and you just asked the question, okay, Austin, just be real with me. I've gone to church. I've done the private Christian school. And I hear what you're saying, that God is holy, that he is set apart and, and I know there's parts of me that are broken. If I'm being honest, like when it's just me, when my pillow hits, when my head hits the pillow at night and it's like the, the charade is over, the facade is over, I'm not the cool guy anymore, I'm not the athletic guy anymore, I'm, I don't have to be the, the funny girl, I don't have to be, you know, the popular one. Like when all of that's over and it's just me and there's no one around to like, you know, laugh and the jokes and all that, when it's just me, I know deep down that there's more going on in life. And, and maybe there's sometimes that you feel sad. Maybe sometimes there's this brokenness inside. Maybe inside of every single one of us, I believe wholeheartedly that there's a longing for something bigger than just ourselves. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a guy named C.S. Lewis. He says, if we find in this world that nothing satisfies Maybe it's because we were designed for a different place. And if you and I were just sitting here and we could level, I would tell you this. I would open up my Bible to Romans and I would flip to Romans chapter one and I would just say, just, just read this with me. And, and for the sake of flipping in time, I'm just gonna say these out loud. I want you to stay in Romans chapter five, okay? If you're in Romans five, stay there. And I would, I would flip with you to Romans chapter one and I would say, friend, it, in Romans chapter one, it says that there's a God that he's made himself clear. And at a camp like this, outdoor education, where we're studying like rocks and trees and bugs, and it's so cool that nature itself cries out that there's a God. Right? That, that creation says that there is a creator. When we see something created, we go, oh, something made this. It's not random. Right, when you walk into this chapel and you see this incredible set, right, you, you wouldn't believe for a second that like a crazy windstorm came in here and there was just a bunch of supplies on the ground. And after the windstorm, we just came in here and this set was here. We went, huh, no way. No, something that's created has a creator. And so Romans chapter one is gonna make it very obvious and say, okay, creation cries out that there is a God. And you go, okay, that makes sense. And I go, that's what we talked about yesterday, that this God is, is holy, he's set apart. But this good news, it's, it starts with some bad news, right? Romans chapter three, verse 10, is that there's no one good, not even one. That's what we talked about this morning. Romans chapter three, verse 23, says that all have fallen short of God's glory. And you go, oh, like Izzy and Pastor Kyle. And I'd go, yeah, like Izzy and Pastor Kyle. Romans three twenty-three: all have sinned in all, all fall short of God's perfect standard. The standard is perfection in every single one of us to be in God's presence, to spend eternity with him. We all fall short. 
And you'd say, well, this, this good news, it kind of sounds like bad news. You'd say, well, it's about to get worse. Romans chapter six, verse 23. says, the wages of sin is death. Right, just, just like in the Exodus story that we see with Pharaoh, that, that sin pays, and sin always pays the exact same way. It pays in death. It's like, it's wages, right? It's like if you babysit, the wages that are coming to you for the job that you did is money. It's financial compensation for a job done. That's what wages are. And, and scripture says, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. That sin has a consequence. See, see the, the greatest story ever told makes it abundantly clear that all sin will be paid for, either by you or by Jesus. I mean, this is what the whole sacrificial system was about. Remember I said it reminded them of a sin, and then what? It pointed to a greater sacrifice. The entire Old Testament is this foreshadowing saying there has to be a payment for sin. All sin will be paid for either by you or by Jesus. And this is where I want to pick up in Romans chapter 5. And I would flip over to Romans chapter 5 with you and I would say this. I love this part of the story. In Romans chapter 5 verse 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly die. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, scripture in the greatest story ever told says when the timing was perfect, when we were his enemies, when we were far off, when we were broken, when we were sinful. And, and some of us, right, some of us, our, our sin is maybe really obvious to us. When it's just you and I ask you if you're sinful, if I ask you if, you're, if you experience, if there's like brokenness and you struggle with things, you might sit here and you might go, man, if, if people really knew what was going on in my life, you'd go, there is like so much obvious sin in my life. And others of us, maybe you struggle with the, man, I, I really don't feel that bad. If I look around me, I, I don't feel like I've done that much wrong. Maybe you attend church all the time. Maybe you, like, you get good grades and you, if I asked you a 10-question a, a quiz about the Bible and God, you would get a 10 out of 10. But friends, I would go back to Izzy and Pastor Kyle here as we talked about Romans chapter five and I would say, Izzy... Remember when it was like, if the standard was here, they would have a comparison game? Maybe, maybe you feel like Izzy, where you would go, I, I'm so far off. I know there's sin, I know there's brokenness. And if people actually knew what was going on inside of me, like they wouldn't even wanna be my friend. They wouldn't even wanna, they wouldn't wanna even sit next to me. They wouldn't even wanna be at church with me because there's so much brokenness inside of me. Or maybe you're sitting here going like, I, I really don't feel that bad. And maybe you would align more with like six foot four Kyle going like, well, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm doing all right. 
But if you go back to the standard as perfection, friends, whether you know and your sin is obvious and broken or you really don't feel that bad, but there's some sin inside of you, remember James chapter 2, verse 10, if you've broken one part of the law, you've broken all of it. Both of those scenarios have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And this is why I love that Romans chapter 5 says that just the right time, God demonstrates his love for us in this that he sends his son Jesus to die on our behalf. All sin must be paid for, and sin pays in what? In death. And so God says, I will choose death on their behalf. I love the way 2 Corinthians chapter five puts it. 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 21, says God made him who had no sin to be sin so that they might become the righteousness of God. You know what righteousness means? It means right standing with God. This big churchy word that means right standing with him. But the only way to have right standing with him when all sin pays in death is that God has to demonstrate his love for us in this, that Jesus dies on our behalf. It's the greatest exchange of all time. And if we were sitting here and you'd went, okay, I... I get that, I'm starting, I I understand, I can comprehend that all sin has to be paid for either by me or by Jesus. Well, so what do I do? And this is where I would turn over to Romans chapter 10, verse nine, and Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this. If we were sitting here, just me and you looking at my Bible, I I would make it so both of us could read it, and I would say Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple as that. See, Romans 10 gives us the greatest news of all time, that when Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for all past sin, all current sin, and all future sin, when Jesus paid the ultimate penalty and hung there on the cross and said, I will choose to demonstrate my love for them by dying on their behalf. Because the wages of sin is death. Jesus hangs there on the cross and dies for you and for me. But here's the greatest part of the story. He didn't stay dead. See, three days later, Jesus would rise again from the dead to prove that he could make dead things alive. And you and I, friends, without Jesus, we are dead things. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if they declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and again, that that word Lord in the Greek, it's the word kurios, and it it means to surrender. It means to bow your knee and say, you are now in charge. God, you have the steering wheel to my life. It's your way, not my way. God, and and all the thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes in my life that go against your plan, God, I, I surrender my life now to you. I admit that I'm a sinner, that I am broken, and I say, my life is now yours. You're in charge. That's what Lord means. This isn't just a belief up here that there is a God. It's not just a recognition that, there, that God is real or that he is true. No, it's, it's a full surrender. Romans 10 says, in order to surrender, in order to be saved, you must fully surrender, number one. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no amount of good works you could do. There's no amount of church attendance. There's no amount of good grades in Bible class. There's no amount of looking the right way or talking the right way or serving enough in church. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Jesus paid the ultimate penalty on the cross to give us the option to surrender to him and say, I wanna live life your way, not my way. I trust in you, I believe in you, and I believe in you enough to now do what you say. And friends, I wanna, I wanna invite you right now, and I'm gonna pray here in just a minute, but I wanna invite you, if you want to make that decision tonight, and if I wish, this is genuinely where I wish, if you and I were just sitting here, this would be a much easier conversation. But the coolest part about this is you're gonna go to cabin time here in a little bit and you're gonna get to have these conversations with your counselors. But if you wanna make that decision tonight and you've never made it before, I I wanna just walk you through a simple prayer right now. And let me make something abundantly clear. There's no like formula of words that you have to say in a perfect order. There's no like simple phrase or prayer that saves you. No, Jesus saves friends. And it's his death on your behalf and his resurrection that has paid the price for your sin to offer you salvation. So what I'm going to walk you through in this prayer is simply just from scripture, a recognition that you are a sinner, that you are broken, and that you want Jesus to pay the penalty for your sins, and that you want to live life his way, not your way. So if you want to pray that with me, and you wanna give your life to Jesus tonight for the very first time, just say something like this in a prayer to God, just between you and him. Here's the coolest thing about prayer. It's just talking to God. It's not these and thous. God doesn't speak New King James, okay? It's just you and him having a conversation. Hey, so if you wanna make that decision tonight, just pray a little something like this to God. Hey God, I recognize tonight that I am a sinner. God, and I understand that sin pays in death, that the wages of that sin is death. And I know in my life that I don't want to live in my sin anymore. God, tonight I surrender my life to you. God, I, I surrender to you as Lord, and I believe that God raised you from the dead to prove that he could make dead things alive. God, from here on out, my life is yours. Thank you for loving me enough to show that love through the person of Jesus by dying on my behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, in just a second, okay? Not yet, but in just a second, I'm gonna give you a very clear prompt here. If you made that decision for the first time in just a second, again, not right now, in just a second I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and here's why, okay? I know that might be a scary thing to do, to stand to your feet in front of your peers, in front of friends, maybe in front of people that like you've gone to school with before or that you've hung out with before and they're gonna look at you like, wait, what? I know that might be a scary thing to do but I'm gonna ask you to do it for two reasons. Number one, we simply wanna celebrate with you. 
I believe wholeheartedly, friends, and the reason your leaders are here, and the reason that I'm here, and the reason your Hume staff is here is because our lives have been changed for eternity by the person of Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you tonight as you go from eternal death to eternal life. We simply want to look at you. We want to smile. We want to give you a big hug. And we want to say welcome to the family. Okay, number one, we want to celebrate. Number two, we just want to have a follow-up conversation with you. Your counselors are going home with you and they want to walk through this with you. They want to walk through the next couple of steps with you of what does this look like as you go home? What does this look like as you go back to your families? What does this look like as you live this out in the next couple weeks, months, and years? Okay, so number one, we want to celebrate. Number two, we want to walk this out with you. We want to keep you accountable there, okay? So I know it can be scary, but if you made that decision tonight for the very first time, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Awesome. Awesome. Heck yeah. You guys can grab a seat, okay? Hey, counselors, make sure you have those follow-up conversations, look those guys in the eyes. Okay, I want to talk real briefly to a second group of you here tonight. Okay, because I grew up in a Christian home, because I went to a private Christian school, I know wholeheartedly, I know for a fact there are some of you in here that when I talk to you through the gospel, you're sitting here going, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, 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 yep, you've heard it before, right? And maybe you've even surrendered your life to Jesus before. And maybe at another camp or with your family or, or, or with a teacher or with a youth pastor, like you've made that decision before. You've surrendered your life to him. But there's things in your life that as you've been up here at Hume, as we've opened up God's word, as we've been having conversations, there's things in your life that you know you haven't been walking with Jesus. You, you haven't been living out the fact that your life is surrendered to him. And there's something in scripture in Romans chapter 10, it talks about belief, and then it talks about repentance. And repentance is a, it's a big churchy word that simply means to change your mind. It means that you're walking this direction, and you stop in your tracks, you change your mind, and you walk in the opposite direction. And I believe that there are some of you here in this room that have made that decision in the past, but there's something in your life that you need to repent of. You need to stop in your tracks and as you go home, there's something that needs to change. There's something that you need to give up. There's some things you need to stop doing. Maybe there's some people that you need to stop hanging out with. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a guy that you need to stop being around. Maybe there's a girl that you need to stop being around. Right? For some of you, there's something in your life that you go, I surrendered my life to Jesus and I would call myself a follower of Jesus, but it doesn't really look like it right now. And friends, I'm going to walk you through a prayer, and then I'm going to ask you to stand after I pray, and here's why. That can be a scary thing to do, to stand to your feet and say, there's something that I need to repent of. And let me make something clear. This isn't like a re-upping on the gospel. This isn't like a, a re-salvation. No, it's simply you standing going, hey, there's something in my life that I need to give up, that I need to repent of. And as I go home, what your counselors are going to do is they're just going to ask you, hey, 
What was it tonight that made you stand? What was it that you needed to repent of? You, you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, but it doesn't look like that. How do we talk through that? How do we have that conversation? If that's you, pray something like this. Hey God, thank you for being my savior. God, I, I've made that decision in the past. I believe that you are Lord. God, thank you for Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins, that I don't have to live in shame, that I don't have to live in this brokenness, that there's a way designed for me that is life and life abundant. God, tonight, I want to ask forgiveness for fill in the blank. God, tonight, I make the decision that I'm all in, that I want to walk with you, that I want to believe you enough to do the things that you say. God, I love you. Thank you for loving me first. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay? Friends, I know this is scary, but again, I want to celebrate your freedom that you're walking away from guilt and shame, from hiding, you're stepping into the light. And then we wanna keep you accountable. Your counselors wanna ask you follow-up questions. If that's you tonight and you know that there's something in your life that you need to repent of, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet right now. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Go ahead and grab a seat. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna be done. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for this chapel and this place that we can open up your word and that we can hear the good news of your gospel. God, I pray tonight that the, the standing that we did wasn't just because the person next to us stood. God, it wasn't because we wanted to be seen, God, but it was a stand to proclaim that I'm done living in shame, I'm done living in sin, God, and I now step from death into life. God, thank you that at the perfect time you demonstrated your love for us by dying on the cross. But God, thank you that you didn't stay dead, that you proved that you have the power even over death. God, may we walk in the light every hour of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. God, would you make would you raise up world changers out of this room that would go and make your kingdom great? We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.